men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies to finally become the hero within us all this is the final episode of 2021 arise the honest man's podcast episode 52 it is also a celebration of sorts it is a important milestone for us having reached uh, one year of this endeavor um i think jai and myself never never really imagined how meaningful it would be for us um, and the incredible appreciation and feedback that we would receive from uh, from our listeners so it is quite a momentous occasion for us and also you know we we decided it would only be fitting to um, make this final episode <laughs> also quite a momentous topic 108 shades of gray so um a little bit earlier this year i'm not sure it was close to the beginning of the year maybe feb march sometime brajananda prabhu and i uh were having a conversation and we were just connecting about all sorts of things and uh, we began talking about this realm of uh, sexuality within our society and somehow other this idea was born i think brajananda actually said wouldn't it be really cool to come up with some sort of questionnaire and uh, put it out there to see where people are really at because you get a sense by having you know continuous extended conversations you get a sense but like we we kind of wanted to to know for sure what's going on out there and um Needless to say, it took maybe two, three months or whatever for it to actually come into reality. And um, of course, Chai Jagannath Prabhu was going to be a part of it. Um, Brajananda had shared the idea with, um, with his dear wife, Kumari, sitting right there next to him. And she also expressed some enthusiasm about being involved. And then I also thought, well, there's no, we have to have Danya, you know, we have to have Danya because she's so. Uh, incredibly in touch um, on so many levels and she always contributes um, such value to any space any space that I've shared with her she's just um, made such an impact so yeah we had to have Danya <laughs> and uh, we then um, yeah we then proceeded and uh, we'll we'll kind of get into the technicalities of how the whole thing you know became what it is in just a sec but i'll i'll hand over to my beloved co-host jagannath prabhu to uh get into some other aspects yeah i just wanted to start off and don't sorry guys for the call i'm not trying to be extra like hollywood i'm just someone <laughs> left we had like a we had a um, we had a winter summer here for like a few days and someone left the window open and now it's like winter winter so it's super cold in the space I'm in right now. And so I'm not trying to like be Hollywood or anything, but it's just <laughs> a matter of practicality here. Uh, I wanted to start off with love. Thank you all for being here. Um, I'm excited about this episode, nervous about it also a little bit. But um, there was in one of the in one of the questionnaires, someone mentioned that this was the way that we had, I guess, the questions themselves in the survey survey was ethically problematic. And I kind of wanted to just springboard 
from there or use it as a springboard to just discuss our motivations for having this conversation. I, I, I for starters, just want to say, <clears throat> and I'm probably going to come back to this a few times throughout this conversation. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, every endeavor is covered by some fault as fire is covered by smoke. So there definitely there were, you know, areas where things could have been better, more precise, et cetera, et cetera. But our motivation for doing the conversation was just that, just to have a conversation. This conversations we may have in private with one or two persons, we were thinking maybe we could have it more in open and, and that way perhaps reach more ears and may it work as a sort of palliative or yeah, like a palliative might be a proper word here for hearts who are struggling with the subject matter, both personally and communally, um, as a survey also tend to reveal. This is like a weird subject matter. It's a very awkward one for sure. And um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to just to use that as a springboard. How do you guys, how did you feel about that particular, you know, the statement, like the ethics of the question? We're not scientists. We're not data analysts and and that wasn't our purpose in putting the questionnaire together it was literally like let's have a conversation and here's the questionnaire it's completely anonymous so we don't know who is who and you know you didn't have to like participate in the conversation like that you know it was just like if you wanted to help contribute to the conversation that would be great so i just wanted to get that off my chest and hear you all's thoughts just on that particular thing real quick like what did you think about the ethics of the of the survey mm. it it wasn't so like it wasn't so evident to me what exactly was so ethically problematic you know since it was completely voluntary and since it was um completely anonymous and uh, you know, like Krishna gave us the gift of free will, so <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can decide. You know, if you want to be a part of it. Um. So yeah, to me, it's it's actually a little confusing. Yeah. Like, what What's the big deal? <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I also received some feedback. It wasn't. This, I think the word ethical. Uh, might be very specific and I, and I also have a hard time applying it. I think that if there's like informed consent, right, we talked about what it was and we, mm. I, maybe perhaps, perhaps what we could have done is further clarify uh, the purpose and how the information was going to be used. But I thought it was pretty well um, laid out um, that we were looking to start a conversation. And we, we talked a little bit about this previously when we met, which is, we're just looking to explore. It's not necessarily like a scientific experiment where we're setting up a certain measure and that measure has internal validity and reliability and then we're applying it to a specific, you know, set population that's the sample set. We're not doing any of that. It's fully exploratory. It's something that's meant to be, as you said, a conversation starter. And because it's groundbreaking, I mean, if you think about what groundbreaking sounds like, it's literally breaking ground. It's going to make a mess a little bit. So I think that's sort of what, is happening here you know it does get a little messy you kind of see the materials out in the open and it can be um, a little bit kind of button pushing some of the questions as it's meant to be um, I think that a little discomfort in in my professional and also my personal experience a little bit of discomfort actually helps the juices get flowing and actually helps information come out because you see where there's points of friction and where there's points of contention and 
the fact that someone challenges the ethics around sexuality, I mean, ethics is a big topic around sex. So that's, it's relevant, even though I don't fully understand what it means. I can see the relevance of it. And, and yeah, I, I appreciate the feedback. Nice. Yeah, and on this aspect of free will, the questions, the only three questions that were required were the first three qualifying questions to make sure that you were some sort of devotee, that you were in a relationship so that you have a context to speak from. And um, what was the other one? Yeah, I knew that you're, yeah, that you're in a relationship. Yeah. And that you've been in the movement. So like, those were the only required questions. Mm -hmm. And then you didn't have to respond. If you felt a question was, you know, ethically problematic, no problem. Leave it out. Skip it. Go to the next right. one. Which plenty of people did. Like Yes. Okay, mm. so we had about 83 um, people, and we divided the 83 between the, the um, five of us, although we ended up reading a lot of most of them. We divided it. And the section that I got, 1 through 17, like no one said anything. <laughs> <laughs> It was like literally very. I was like, I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm behind. I'm, and I'm just like, okay, not, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing. So mm. to your point, no one had to answer anything. Although I did find it quite strange how people like answered the first three or four questions and then had nothing else to say. Um, in any case, just the aspect of free will. Kumari, let's hear from you because you came up with the questions and the questions. <laughs> Left little to the imagination. I, I remember being in New Brindavan for 24-hour Kirtan earlier this year, and there was a, um, some friends I was with there who had seen the survey and, and participated, and they were also just like taking it back, but hap kind of happily taking it back, but they were joking about it. Like some of the <laughs> questions were like real, like, oh, oh are we going to talk about that? We, oh, that's also getting brought up. So we want, yeah. we want to hear from you. How did you come? First of all, thank you for doing the questions. I don't know if it would have ever materialized if not for you. So your presence in this whole process has been critical. Thank you for that. And um, what was your what was going on in your head when you came up with these questions? Yeah. Just just very briefly, I I also just want to say for those who may be listening and may not be a hundred percent like fully acquainted with, um you know, the social culture within within the greater bhakti society is that in a public space, there ain't no bedroom talk. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Sex is highly, highly, highly taboo. Reason being that our ideal standards are really, really high and rigid, you know? And so when people fall short, then the kind of thing is like, well, you, you just don't want to go there because automatically, as a result, so much guilt and shame is then, is then, is then created or, or catalyzed by this, by this reality. So um, in one sense, I don't know if anyone has in our society up to this point today actually had a straight up like, public conversation about this topic so i think you know in that spirit <laughs> maybe kumari you can you can say what happened for you but maybe you well you know we <laughs> we might as well go balls to the wall you know we <laughs> if we're gonna do this we might as well do it properly <laughs> 
you know, as in creating this survey, I was even nervous because I kept coming up with more questions and I'm like, is it too long? Is it too much? Is it, is it too detailed? Mm. And all the feedback that I got from this team that you're seeing here was like, no, like, you know, everything there has got to be asked. Like we got to put it out there and you already came up with it. So let's do it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so um, I think what was really important was to give people just like text boxes, like, write like elaborate describe um and then you know along with collecting you know more like rate on a scale because those kind of in between uh questions you know don't burn out people when they're just writing about their sex life um and um i think opening up with the describe what sex means to you so this is like the first question very broad um and this got a lot of varied answers, sometimes straight into the point and sometimes more abstract. Um, so I think that just opening up with that open-ended question was really important um, in, you know, kind of trying to let people just start writing, start sharing. And, um, and then, you know, as they're, you know, they're starting to share and then, um, then we talk about standards. So now standards, it was like, what is your current sexual standard? What is your, what was your sexual standard before you were married? Or if you're not married, then the question doesn't apply. And like, what is your long-term vision for your sexual standard? And mm -hmm. I think that um, actually when we were doing um, <laughs> our Grihas division questions before we got married, um, there is a question about sex and it talks about sexual standards and like what you think and like that needs to be talked about before you enter into a serious relationship. And I remember, of course, my husband is the researcher. So he, he reached out to a mentor of his who gave him essentially the standards that are in these questions. So like, like the different levels essentially. Um, so um, like I am completely detached from sex life right <laughs> okay and then i only have sex for procreation i only have sex with a marriage or like i have premarital sex so um so that kind of was the um i guess the inspiration for those specific questions but then you know those were multiple choice questions but then it's like okay but what is your long-term vision write out free response like tell us where you're at and where you want to go and how you want to how you want to go forward and um yeah and then rating satisfaction in your sex life and how often you're having sex like these are things that are important like how often are devotee couples having sex like i don't know i don't know so let's let's talk about it and then then i think where a lot of people kind of were like okay this is specific was kind of essentially going through the bases, so to speak. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, okay, it's going to get a little weird, but yeah, the, like the question about fellatio, I was just like, oh. That works. Oh. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. So wait a second, wait a second. I feel like a doofus right now. What does fellatio mean? <laughs> oh my God, I'm trying to keep it like sophisticated. No, no, bro. Okay, listen, listen, listen. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say this. Okay, there was one question. 
When was the first time in your relationship that you engaged in oral sex? Yeah, that's fallacious. Yes. That's okay, excellent. I thought so. Because, yeah, that particular question, like we, <laughs> one, one senior uh, individual gave the feedback that, like, oh my gosh, you know, like when you ask that question, then it just makes me think of all the times that that happened. And that's like agitating to the mind, you know? People have uh, these kinds sure. of feelings. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so how did you get the, what inspired you to put, like, I wouldn't think that a devotee, even trying to be provocative, would think to put a question like that down just because it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because it is what it is. <laughs> Danya well, said something really good about this when we were discussing it yeah, like, Danya, as we were you, getting feedback. Please. I don't know. What did I say? I don't know. You basically, <laughs> said, you basically said this, right? Like, so, Kumari, what was the... Hold on. Is, is, is my sound coming through okay? Are you guys yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Kumari, um, what, what was the progression exactly? It was something like... It was something like, what was the first time that you hugged? And then what was the mm -hmm. first time that you kissed what was the first time you had your chest touched or like touched chest or whatever mm -hmm. then it was below the belt and then it was oral sex and then it was actual full-on intercourse right so right. what was the timeline um and you know when 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 i brought this particular feedback that we received like you know, why do you have to be so direct about it? Because if you're right. direct, then like it just reminds the thing. And then Danya said, well, this is a real, this is the reality. Like this is what is happening for people in the bedroom. And like, if you don't explicitly state it as it is, then, then you're denying it as a valid like real experience that yeah, is being had. I remember Diana saying that is that, part of like, you know, the human. I mean, because it's like, come on, guys. Like we all know, like, you know, what what happens behind the door. Like we all know. Come on, like, why do we have to be all hush hush about it? So, in stating it explicitly, you 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 render it a a valid, real thing that is happening for people that they right. can just admit to and not have to feel like all, you know, tail between the legs and shameful about it. Right, right. I totally yeah. remember when you said that, Danya. It was okay. very... I think I might have... We, I think that was in our chat. But yeah, we yeah. were talking about the, the wording around the questions and wanting to be as straightforward as possible because an issue is that there isn't straightforward language around it. Mm -hmm. And so the difficulty with euphemism is that implicit in a euphemism or implicit in sort of vague language is that feeling of what I'm talking about is inherently shameful. Mm. There's something wrong with what I'm doing, mm. right? And so, you know, it's, it's nice to just be straightforward about it. And it doesn't necessarily mean um, that there's anything vulgar about it because it's, again, it's the tone. It's the tone. Mm. I think that in being straightforward and, and using also language that people understand, right? Maybe if you use a euphemism, it doesn't translate culturally. Maybe if you use certain very like scientific terms, people don't know what that means. That's not how mm -hmm. sex education, there's not even really one 
global understanding of sex education. So the language around it, the more straightforward, the more simple, the more accessible it is, it just makes for a better question because it allows you to have your answer rather than to start getting triggered by the feelings of a question. Mm. And also just in Brilliant. terms of like language and validation, all the questions are phrased, how long were you in your relationship before this happened? So not did this happen or when, or like, when did this happen? Like, how, okay, this has happened probably for you because you're in a relationship. So how long were you in your relationship before? Not, did you do this? Because a yes or no might be like, oh no, I'm going to say no because I don't want people to know that I did it. But like, how long were you in your relationship before? Oh, just a few months, whatever. Um, so just even the, the wording there kind of landed toward this is valid in your relationship when like, how long were you in a relationship before it happened? Bravo. So you can see a lot a lot went into these very simple questions. <laughs> a mm. lot of thinking mm. and contemplation and, and trying to create a space where people could be vulnerable and honest at the same time. Mm. I wanted to start exploring some of the themes that we saw. Oh yeah, yeah. Just 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 a sec. So so also like what you know, another thing that should be said is um right in the beginning when we'd first put the questionnaire out there we were you know certainly receiving quite a lot of feedback and as we were receiving the feedback um you know we brought the feedback to each other and we were discussing it in our little group and so on and we still all like universally agreed that what the way that it was done and the way that we had approached it was a valid, necessary, and sensible approach. So thanks for the feedback, guys. <laughs> but like, you know, we, uh, we, we felt that it was, uh, that it was good. And it we did receive a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah, also a lot of affirmation. Like there was, there was, there was some, there was a little bit of outcry, but there was also a lot of like genuine appreciation. Yeah, I remember yeah, a, few, a few people wrote, thanks for asking these questions. I'm glad we are having a discussion around it. One person said, no one's ever asked me before. Like, thank you for asking. It's right. simple as that. It's like, hmm. just to be able to talk about it for them was very therapeutic. And hmm. then what, and then, uh, what, what, what the uh, survey went to next after that part was like, how do you feel? Did, did you feel it was uh, too slow? Like, did your relationship, physical relationship escalate, escalate too slow? Um, good timing, or was it too fast? Right. So then you then you have devotees like reflecting on like how do how do you feel how did you feel about that? And a lot of people wrote like it was too fast. Some people uh, like was way, some people was like mm -hmm. way too slow, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's nice. And then people were able to introspect and um, about how they feel about that. And yeah, I know I know I felt like a lot of people felt like it was very therapeutic just to reflect on that. Mm. Mm. I, I definitely got the sense from a lot of the answers that um, a lot of these people had been sitting, like had literally been waiting for years and years, maybe even decades, to be able to just say something about this like inner struggle you know, around their sexuality and spiritual life. So yes, it was definitely, definitely felt it was very cathartic. And then Jai, just before we go on to the themes, um, just two more realms that, that Kumari had, you know, thought really well about, you know, inquiring into was um, 
essentially porn use and the extent of porn use and how that may potentially influence the way that sex is being had you know literally like the mechanics like does it does it does it influence the way that you have sex with your partner because we all know that a very uh, skewed unwholesome exploitative uh portrayal of sex is being shown in pornography in general so that was important to inquire about and then also um you, there was also a a set of questions on contraception do you believe con do you use contraception what kind of contraception and do you believe that it's okay for Hare Krishnas to use contraception um so that was basically and then what what was the last thing just basically if you if you had any final thoughts or any, right you know, right and we got some we got some 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 real nuggets there for sure yeah <clears throat> beautiful yeah if we can get into some of the themes i want to kick it off and i want to and i want to see if i want to see you guys can affirm this or not but um the first thing that i saw that really stood out for me was that the way men and women experience sexuality is very different at least the way that they talk about it is very different and if the way they talk about it is any indication of how they think or or experience sexuality for me it seemed like a very i wouldn't say a stark contrast but a, like a contrast enough where you could see like wow men and women experience sexuality very different i remember i i kind of saw from a lot of the um female <clears throat> surveys there was a lot of the sense that sex a lot more like talk of detachment from sex life or not being so much into it, but recognizing it as a need for my husband or as a need for my partner. Like I felt like I saw a lot more of that from the side of the female and therefore I'll acquiesce to the needs of my husband, even though I'm not so into it. And, and then I saw a lot more like, yeah, more of like a need or necessity on the male side. Like this is something that has to be there and maybe it's not so much there and it's, kind of making a weird, awkward strain in our relationship. Um, in any case, there was a lot of different elements that came up, but one thing was for sure is that men and women experience sexuality very differently. And I think the question that came up for me is that in our postmodern world and talking about sexuality, the lines between genders have been blurred. First of all, that might be offensive. Is there even a gender <laughs> binary anymore? Sidebar, this... First question was like, are you male or female? And the second question was, what's your gender? So that, we got some real <laughs> funny ones. We got some real funny responses in those two questions. Because even asking this sort of question, like, wait, didn't you just ask me that in the previous question? So in our postmodern culture where the, the gender binary isn't so clear anymore, and mm. the way that that whole idea that men and women can experience sexuality differently is kind of being blurred more and more and more and so mm. maybe it's taken for granted that we we the different genders we do experience sexuality like very differently and i don't know if we consciously know that and so when entering into a relationship without consciously knowing that is going to very much impact the way that you engage in your sexuality with the partner so i don't know i i just kind of wanted to hear any, that was one thing that really stood out to me, like, because I was noting it, how men spoke about sex, how women spoke about us. And it was like, it seemed very different to me. And I was like, okay, it seems like this is important to know that we do experience sexuality very differently. And we need to be aware of that difference so that we can approach our partners appropriately for a more healthy 
exchange in consideration of our needs and their needs. Mm. There, there were there were a lot of people that um, that essentially had this that came to this conclusion in their in their own experience that like dealing with sexuality needs to be a highly collaborative endeavor in the couple. Like it needs to be like, we need to be really, really honest about our needs. And it's like, we need to figure this out together. We need to have those like very honest, because otherwise, you know, this, this obviously this rift is there, like between how how women tend to feel and how men tend to feel. Um, so the only way that you're going to find out is to have those conversations and actually tell each other where you're genuinely at and 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 what you're what you're really feeling and what you're really needing. That and there were a few people that you know that basically said that's the point that they had come to, and only after coming to this point of having these conversations that they really begin to find like a sense of a sense of harmony in 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 dealing with um in dealing with their sexuality because yeah it's just it's so um it's just so it's just so tricky you know if 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 one partner has a has a much higher libido than the other then you know you can you can feel i can imagine you can feel so apprehensive about bringing that to them because you know, there's this, there's this guilt around like, well, you know, am I just using this person that I'm, that I'm supposed to love and, and therefore serve and, and whatever, just to satisfy my needs. But, but then of course a paradigm shift has to be made. And, you know, to some extent it's like taking care of each other's needs as a form of service anyway. So it's obviously a very tricky conversation to have, but the only way to resolve it is to have that conversation. Yeah. Thoughts, men and women experience sex differently or sexuality differently. I, I was also noticing um, the answers on that. It seemed like the women wrote a little more about connection and feeling and, mm. you know, uh, just a little more emotional, I would say. And then a lot of the men's were like, very uh, like, it's when you, you know, perform you know, it's like more literal like man and woman very literal like and the question was <laughs> what does sex mean to you yeah like i shared right? this in the chat group what does sex mean to you one one guy okay. was just like intercourse, intercourse. Yeah. <laughs> like there were a lot of answers like that it's like when the man does this and you know it like so it's very mechanical in a sense uh, i noticed right. a lot of the nets not all of them i have to say not yeah all exactly exactly there are some more like men who are more into the um emotional aspect and also um talk about procreation because not a, like a lot of people were like we i also noticed like some people were saying only for procreation and then some were like it doesn't have to necessarily be like that so um i wouldn't say that that everyone uh, yeah definitely there was a wide range of answers i wouldn't say that we uh, mm -hmm. were just um yeah asking one group of people it was definitely a, a very a mm. broad audience uh, in my opinion so but uh did that was my general general feel that the women uh, their answers were more emotional and and 
you know, sensitive. And then the men's were very like, this is what it is. <laughs> like literal, and also with a focus on pleasure. <laughs> yeah. 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 I noticed, I noticed that the, the, the differences in the masculine and feminine experience were there and they were pretty obvious in, in the language. I think mm. also a, a big component that I thought was notable was that um, kind of what you were saying, Jai, that like there are differences in the male experience and the female experience of sexuality and that many people came to the relationship because one of the latter questions was kind of like, so when you came to your relationship, what was it like kind of speaking to your partner about that? Did you have a conversation about it? something along those right, lines? Right. Um, that for some people that was their first ever time contemplating like what does sex mean to me mm. right it was like the first time they even had like it's not like they had a uh necessarily like a well-developed framework of like this is what sex is and then when i come to a relationship this is what i want to present to my partner it was just kind of like i don't know are they needs like one of the most frequent words i wish i could I, I don't know if you can do this in the info that we got but to like scan for like hot words like one word was confusing. People are confused. We are confused about mm. sex. I feel confused. They were confused. It was confusing when we talked mm. about it. It was confusing when it was happening. I was confused afterwards. I was like, <laughs> I'm confused mm. what Prabhupada would want. I'm confused what everybody else is doing. Like everybody, it's just, there's massive confusion. And it's right. because mm. there's this like lack of communication. And even in relationships, there's an awkwardness. I think men and women seem to express a sort of like blossoming of the conversation when they finally get into a relationship where there's trust and where there's love, mm -hmm. where they're like, I'm only just, I mean, even people who've been in a relationship for years are saying, I'm only just starting to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was there around the topics of um, masturbation and pornography too, which is like, I've only been able to talk about this with my partner because they love me and because they accept me and because there's that compassion there of like, wow, you must, you know, it seems like you're having a hard time figuring this out and so on. So there's, there's something about people having a sexual relationship and that also creating some sort of safety where sex can actually be talked about because it's happening. Mm. I don't know that that was a universal experience, but it was something really noticeable that I, that I picked up on as people were kind of storying their experiences. Mm, interesting. Mm, mm. There, there's there's one uh, one particular male who who gave an amazing answer to what does sex mean to you, and um, I'd like to share it as it is because it's you know there's no way of knowing who said it, um, and it was just so all encompassing. I don't know if you guys maybe read it, but I just want to share it quickly. So describe what sex means to you. Biologically, an exchange of bodily fluids. Physically, one of the highest pleasures the body can have. Emotionally, an intimate connection with my wife. Mentally, sexual fantasies are a way to escape reality. I unfortunately use those to help me fall asleep. And spiritually, something I need to get over. <clears throat> really, yeah, really, really, really covering the basis. And that kind of demonstrates why people are so torn because it's almost like it's almost like yes you are not the body you are the spirit soul but 
our psycho-emotional experience <laughs> is so real and, and you got to do something with it, right? So you can see how people are really, really torn apart, not knowing how to reconcile these different aspects of being. Mm. I definitely noticed that and, and I have it here on my, my little sheet of themes that I, I noticed that there were quite a few answers where they were very satisfied with the emotional and physical aspects of the relationship, but felt conflicted with the spiritual part of them. Mm. And there was like, the, it, I, had, I noted it down because I started seeing it quite a, a bit. It was repeating itself that I'm actually satisfied with the emotional and physical progression of the relationship. I feel kind of nourished by that but because it's not in line with the spiritual standard as they understood it, there was like this discomfort and schism. So I'm, I was, since it came up naturally just now, what did you, did you all notice that also? What might be, yeah, I don't know. That seems like a pretty big problem. When your highest ideals always keep you at odds with yourself, even when you feel mm. satisfied with yourself as you are. Did you notice, kind of uh, riffing off of what you're saying, Jai, did you notice that some of the questions that didn't ask you about what the ideal was, people would slip it in there as the primer for their answer, right? They'd be Absolutely. like, so what, what is, you know, what, what is this like for you? And they'd be like, well, okay, I know what the highest standard is and I know I'm supposed to be detached from sex life, but this is what... <laughs> And so it was, it's amazing because, like you said, if the language is any indication of the thought process, right. it yes. means that there's this wave of hitting you with the standard before you even contemplate your own experience, which I think can be extremely right. healthy in some ways. Totally. And in another way, it means that you, you have to like move through this dense fog of shame before you even touch base with yourself. Right. Right. Before you even get to what your actual experience is, you're kind of like mired by like what I'm doing is wrong. I know this isn't the standard. I know blah, blah, blah. And it's it's a very, very heavy experience. And it's not like that came out of nowhere. A lot of people in the survey also talked about how that was passed down to them from a previous generation, how certain right. communities had really problematic language and really problematic attitudes toward one another about even developing the emotional aspects of their relationships, what to right. speak of the physical, sexual aspects of the relationship. So, yeah, I definitely noticed a, that that certain trend was there of feeling this like um, disjoint between what I believe to be the purest spiritual standard and the fact that maybe I am actually satisfied and maybe this is actually really working for me and I can also be kind of um, in knowledge of this higher principle that I'm also aspiring for. So how do I navigate that? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kumar, you, you guys, I really, I just wanted to say, I wanna bring this up because it's a kind of a talking point that I have with many of my friends here in the city also. Um, I don't know how else to say this, and it's going to sound somewhat controversial, but there is there is a difference between four regular principles and sixteen rounds, and this is what I want to what I want to say about that. Like the sixteen rounds is like bhakti proper, you know, when you're actually engaged in bhakti, and the only way you can progress in bhakti is by doing the angas of bhakti. You know, there's a nice verse from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. When he's thinking about the persons who have bhakti adhikar, esha bhakti adhikarinam, then he says, um, anu nushtano to dosho bhaktyanga nam prajayate. 
that for those who have bhakti adhikar, there is fault if they don't do the main angas of bhakti. But if they don't do varnashram dharma, nakaranam, akaranat, there is no fault. You know, and it's, and it's a major little section in the adhikar aspect of BRS. And then he goes on to quote like several verses describing this like very clear distinction between bhakti proper and like the religious culture in which bhakti may have been encountered in, in India specifically in the previous world. And I don't know, I always felt like for me at least that was always a healthy distinction to keep in mind because the way I was experiencing the question, this could just be my bias, that the two are getting like deeply conflated. And so you're, unless you're following all the religious standards strictly, you can't advance in bhakti. That's how I was hearing that. And, and then feeling kind of like guilty about that, that I'm not going to really be able to move towards the goal of my life because I'm not following all these religious strictures deeply. Whereas with my understanding of bhakti, at least, and I'm, this is not me pissing all over the four regular principles. I'm just saying that you advance in bhakti by doing the actual angas of bhakti, shravan, kirtan, and so on. And if there is defect in the sort of social religious aspect of your life, that's not considered a defect or a fault per se. Just, you know, keep on with the bhakti, keep on with the bhakti, and then that's things we're gonna, will push out. So I was feeling kind of like this maybe needs to be, become more of a conversation of like that distinction because otherwise it just felt like I'm satisfied with my emotional, physical part and I can do bhakti but because I don't have the strict religious standard, I'm not a bhakta or I'm not fully a bhakta because of it. And I don't know. I just felt it almost as a like a theistic, um, like it's not correct. I don't know. I don't, anyway, I wanted to put that out there because it just was impacting me in that way. I don't know. How do you hear that? I think it makes a lot of sense because we're saying that by, I, you know, from a kind of like psychological point of view, and this is this is a question, it's a hypothesis it's easier to be hard on ourselves and hard on others for not following regulations or for not, you know, um, yeah, uh, respecting these kind of more social or religious things than to actually confront the reality of I'm not in touch with my true nature of being a servant of Krishna and right. his Vaishnavas. Mm -hmm. That's so painful, right? Right. Mm -hmm. My distance from my, my true devotional nature, my soft heart, my total surrender of everything to Krishna is so far away that I would rather point that pain in this direction right here and just be like, I just can't get this rag down. I just can't. <laughs> Right. I mean, we do that. We do that. Right. Mm -hmm. When something is too painful, psychologically, we use a defense mechanism to pack it up and point that laser in a different direction. Mm. Yeah. Something that's easier to tackle, something that I can put on someone else or put on myself on a more superficial level. It's more OK for me to process that pain. So I would ask, in addition to your question, kind of right. putting some uh, layer on that question, is it that we are so afraid of how kind of far we are from as how our devotional ideal that we're getting stuck on these kind of superficial things because they're easier they're more tangible they're like material literally right right can I, can I just say something uh the um what you just said i was having a conversation with a friend not too long ago and we were talking about um how we often uh confuse symptoms with the problem so we're we're shaming ourselves because we think the symptom is is the problem, but that's actually not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is like what you said. It's like 
we don't have the taste for our devotional service to Krishna and the Vaishnavas and that all. And, and then as a, as a result, we have these symptoms and then we're thinking that those symptoms is our problem and we shame ourselves because of that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, anyway, that's, what, that's just something I was yeah. thinking mm -hmm. from what you just said, it, it binds right up with my conversation. That was totally. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so the medicine, I mean, what Jai is saying from Bhakti or Samrita Sindhu, the medicine is Bhakti. The medicine is not more stringent with the regulation because right? Because the byproducts of bhakti are knowledge and detachment. So the detachment will come if you're practicing bhakti. It's not that the bhakti yes. is going to come if you practice detachment. Right. Mm, we were just mm, having, mm. I teach a bhakti shashi class and um, this morning we were, we were discussing how Prabhupada says, uh, well, it was about how Krishna is a taste in water, right? And so then Prabhupada says in this regard, if you, if you're a drunkard and you're addicted to wine, then think when you drink a glass of wine that oh this is krishna it's so nice right so it's it's like just see the mood there it's, it's like yeah you're gonna drink wine so uh that's where you are but think about krishna you know and so we're we're we're, we're gradually getting a taste gradually getting a taste gradually getting a taste he's saying? not shaming the guy for drinking the wine you know what I'm saying? He's not saying, yeah, we're saying that drinking's okay. That's what we're saying, Kumari. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, are you saying that we should have sex and think about Krishna? <laughs> I actually well very very is my point is 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 focusing on on the bhakti aspect, right? right. And that's why Krishna says he's mm. sex life that is um for procreation, right? for example. So ideally we know like everyone in the, in the survey said their long-term vision for their sex life is completely detached. Everyone said Not that. Everyone. No, no really? most, okay. anyway, uh, everyone I read like 80%. I would say yeah. everyone I read was like, it was, you know, Clear. we all, we all read the books. We all have the ideas like that's where we should be. Right. That's my point. Um, so then it's like, that's we're not in denial about that in general i would say right mm. not, just yeah. on that, that was point. i was i was going on something but then we got into technicalities uh <laughs> anyway we're elevating ourselves elevating ourselves elevating ourselves we're focusing on the positive aspect like procreation okay yeah. you, you want to have sex okay so do it for procreation and that's like the ideal right i might not be where everyone is but that's that's like the ideal what we'd like to get to right mm. and so mm. uh the whole point is is remain devotional to Krishna, feed that, feed, keep, keep adding your energy directing your energy there. And then eventually, yeah, you'll automatically become detached because you're going to, you're, you're going to fix your problem, you know, mm. and the symptoms aren't going to be what you think is your just, problem. Just as a matter of pedagogical consideration, it seems that our, our communities, we could do a lot better in communicating this distinction so that this conflation doesn't end up sabotaging so many relationships as it appears to be doing. And at least if the survey is to be believed, this conflation of like bhakti and, you know, proper standards of religiosity, I think there's a conflation there that's causing a lot of sabotage, you know, sabotaging in relationships. And so I mean, this is a sidebar. It's just some, a method of communicating that clear distinction that you can still improve devotionally despite being a little whatever mm. not up to the standard which is another thing that i really would like to talk about too but um mm. yeah karuna the the 
the the essence of it is that we we need to focus on positive progress it's about what what are you what are you adding in didn't Prabhupada say whatever you do just add krishna you know just like it's it's about it's about turning ourselves the primary thing is turning ourselves towards krishna not and the secondary thing is turning ourselves away from maya and because that is the thing turn yourself towards krishna get krishna get love for krishna and the secondary because 16 rounds is the positive this this is the do you should do this if you want to move closer to krishna and then the four regs is the negative don't do this if you'd like to make it easier for yourself to move towards krishna in the positive if you engage in these things in these indulgences excessively then you will become excessively attached to your dying material body and it will be difficult for you to genuinely attach yourself to krishna um and and just as a final point essentially what it boils down to i think a lot of people sit with this belief that whatever they're doing in the positive is automatically rendered invalid if they are compromising in the negative basically mm -hmm. so like if regs are being broken then whatever i'm genuinely doing is just suddenly invalid mm. immediately mm. you know right. and and i and i do not think that is the case i think it's more a case of like this is the recommendation or like and Prabhupada mandated it because he knew that in the west people are very very attached to these gross forms of sense gratification and they have to be you know very strictly um controlled Otherwise, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult for Westerners to make actual progress in bhakti. And then just on this point, uh, Nityananda Prabhu made a very nice comment to what Jai Jagannath Prabhu is saying. We often see that when reading the regulative principles of bhakti, devotees usually assume Srila Prabhupada is referring to the four regs. But then most often Srila Prabhupada elaborates, chanting, hearing, remembering, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, just demonstrating that that is truly, as Jai said in the beginning, this is the primary concern. What are the angas of bhakti? Focus on the positive. One yeah, thing yeah. that I remember, um, man, I can't remember who posted this. Someone posted a commentary on one of the Goswamis on the Bhagavatam quote, the Nastya Prayeshu, Abhadreshu, Nityam Bhagavatam. They were saying that it's interesting, specifically that in the verse it says that by rendering service to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed. Right? Mm. And loving service unto the personality of Godhead is established as an irrevocable fact. So the loving devotional service, they don't have to be completely destroyed for the loving devotional service to be there. Right. You can have loving devotional service even when what is troublesome to the heart is almost completely eradicated and not quite <laughs> eradicated. So if this is the last you know, the final frontier of sense gratification, I mean, it's sex, you know, Prabhupada says that it's the most potent energy in all of material creation. So why would that be mm. likened, even though there's four regs, why would that be the same as stopping eating meat? Why would that be the same as gambling? <laughs> right. My ability to not gamble, like, <laughs> so easy. <laughs> 
so easy, right? But you know, it's 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 really like the most powerful energy. So I think it's also people being extremely tough on themselves and perhaps even minimizing the great force that sexual energy has um, and feeling like, as you said, that it's in some way disqualifying them from having access to bhakti, even very advanced bhakti, which you know, I think it's possible. Now, what I will say, and not that I'm a big fan of playing the devil's advocate, it's not my thing, but there's also the consideration of committing acts that we don't necessarily find are productive on the strength of the holy name, which is, right. I'm not really going to work on this habit. I'm not really going to try and improve. I'm just going to keep chanting, 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 chanting. I think that it's healthy for people to have goals in relationships. I think that people, you know, one of the questions, which was so brilliant, Kumari, that you wrote was, you know, what do you see the progression of this being? What are your goals? Do you and your partner have a long-term plan for what sex is going to look like throughout the evolution of your relationship? And that's such an important consideration because even biophysiologically, sex is not the same in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, when you have kids, when you don't have kids, when you're older, like, it's just not the same. Men and women rhythmically are different, mm -hmm. right? And so it's, it's, so important to acknowledge that even if you know these these younger people especially that answered our survey they're like it's great i don't want anything to change <laughs> i'm thinking like yeah okay but it will change yeah, right. it will change and are you ready for that do you have a plan for the evolution mm -hmm. of your sex life does evolution exist or are you just some people answered our survey very frankly they were like i would like this every day very steady just like my three meals and you know whatever okay but does your biology even match that right does your biology mm. even match that How, what would the maturing developmentally of a mm. healthy sex life look like and does it always look like the same sex i had when i was 22 and we were newly married and we were all psyched about each other or are there symptoms of a well-developed mature sex life that look really different from that. I thought that was probably one of the most dynamic questions on the whole survey. Mm, brilliant. I wanted to, um, and this is coming a little bit back to the, the, the way that men and women experience um, sexuality, but this is a subset of that. Did you notice, and I certainly noticed because I guess I was looking for it too, that the porn question was more of a man's issue then it was a female issue. Now that could just be the, maybe the ladies weren't being so forthcoming because that's a pretty embarrassing question and one that men are expected to have a problem with. So maybe we're just like, yeah, there's an issue. I don't know what might've been a dynamics there, but I did happen to notice that not some ladies did speak about it briefly, but for the vast majority, I noticed it was a male issue. And I'm talking about men who were in committed relationships or men who were married, that was, uh, that was an issue um, as such means that it was going on. Like, yeah, I watched porn even after being married, even after having a sexual relationship with my spouse, that was an issue. And <clears throat> I don't know, this, that's something that I definitely noticed. And I kind of wanted to hear some conversation about that. Like, what was, how did you process it or hear that? And like, yeah, porn is like, and particularly how porn informed the way you have sex with your partner, which was interesting because a lot of the guys, at least the ones that I saw, and I looked at about 50 or 60, so I saw quite a few. Um, a lot of the ones that I saw, they were saying that it informed their sexuality or the way they did sex four out of 10. You know, I think the, I think there was only one that said eight out of 10 that was like a little bit higher. 
but mostly I was saying like four out of 10, six out of 10. Um, and that, that seemed like kind of problematic insofar as at least when I was growing up, and I think it got much worse now, when I was growing up, the way women are um, portrayed in pornography is, let's just say, problematic. Uh, and so if you're having that being like the script that even partially informs how you engage with your partner, it seems like a like a, it could be a big issue. So I was kind of wondering, what did y'all did y'all notice that, and what do you say about that? Yeah, I think it's a little inevitable that, that that's going to be an issue. And I did see definitely it skewed in the direction of men experiencing porn as being, um, you know, negatively affecting their, their sexual relationship. And I think that this comes down to education because mm. it's children who are accessing porn. It's straight up children who are accessing porn. We're talking about elementary school when your brain's not formed fully. You don't understand what you're seeing right? And it's totally unrealistic, um, super exploitive. Um, and, it, and porn in general, it's understood that porn is made for men. They are the top most consumers of porn. So it's made with the male gaze It's in mind, right? It's, it's right. designed to stimulate and hook the male consumer more so. I mean, obviously there are markets for it, but overwhelmingly porn right. is made for the consumption of men. And so it's a very dangerous experience because what I noticed on the other side is that the majority of the respondents who talked about trauma were women. Yeah. And so mm. that seems like a very obvious formula, which is if mm. men from a very young age are taught that violence and sex go together, that exploitation and sex go together, that false power and domination and stuff like that go with sex, and the victims of that are going to be women and women talking about how their hangups coming into healthy sex relationships is that when they were children, they were victimized. And so mm. that makes for such a toxic situation because no one has a realistic experience of what healthy sex is. They only know what healthy sex is not and they don't necessarily know that it's not healthy. So if we're mm. not having like sex education that says like this is what a healthy sexual relationship could be or should be these are the components of people who use sex at a really high vibration then when they see porn they have something to compare it to and they go mm -hmm. oh that seems very strange compared to what i know to be healthy like you know nourishing mm -hmm. balanced sexuality and when someone experiences victimization or knows of somebody you know being victimized they can also go actually what i can't tell you how many people i've worked with that they'll tell me about a sexual experience and we'll put it within the framework of perhaps you were abuse perhaps you were victimized in some way and i literally can see behind their eyes like a little light bulb goes off where they go oh, is that what happened to me oh my god like literally wow. there's not even the context of like yeah i was victimized like that was something that wasn't supposed to happen to me and it happened but because there was no reference of what should be happening right what is safe mm. and nourishing beautiful sex this is my only context and if sex is bad and this was bad then maybe that's okay. I mean, we're, we're like conflating and equating all these things, right? Right. If my spouse feels belittled in sex, that might be okay. Cause that's what I see in porn. Mm. If I don't communicate with my spouse around sex and we just kind of do it and then disconnect and whatever, that must be okay. That's a standard. Cause that's what I see in porn. And then that's what translates over into relationships. You see what I'm saying? It just becomes right. like the textbook for sex right. on both sides. Right. If you, if you, as a, as a man, if you, because literally 
young guys in the world of today are growing up on porn. They look at it daily, a lot of them multiple times a day. And naturally, those, those highly, highly exploitative pathological sexual scripts are going to be etched into the consciousness. You, you, and then when you do enter into an actual relationship with a real human being, you will be almost involuntarily influenced by what you've ingested over years and years and years and years. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, luckily, um, you know, we do have people who are born into the movement, but even them, like no one, if you, if you own a cell phone and you have an internet connection, everyone is, is equally um, exposed to this potential, to this temptation of looking at pornography. Like no one is safe because it's completely anonymous, it's completely affordable, and it's completely accessible. Um, so no one is an exception. Now, devotees, people that are converts and come into Krishna consciousness being converted into it, you know, like still have all of this conditioning. Now, everything in life has a science behind it. Everything has a science behind it. This is how it's done properly. And Tantra, for example, as you know, Nakul Prabhu is like on an absolute crusade to, to give people, you know, Tantra tells us a lot about what is wholesome sex? Like, how do you go about it? How do you connect deeply? How do you take it to the metaphysical level? But don't even mention the word Tantra in like, you know, general sort of devotee conversations oh no 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 we're not, we're not concerned sex only for procreation wham bam thank you ma'am seed is planted okay cool you know um no 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 it is it is it's such an intimate experience is need to be regarded as being sacred it there has to be immense conscientiousness and sensitivity and an attitude of servitude in the act itself Okay. And Danya, Danya's core point is there is no education around this. Yeah. Existing. So what does education look like? This healthy, like, I'm going to say this. There was one, one very hilarious survey uh, where it was a guy and he was like, Hare Krishna's don't know shit about sex. And then, <laughs> and then that, was, that was one sentence. And the other sentence was because they just listened to sannyasis talking about the subject matter. And I was like, hey, man, that is a very valid point. And so obviously the education has to come from those who have had wholesome sexual relationships in the context of a marriage specifically and can um, communicate that to the next generation of devotees. Mm. But I'm still wondering in my head, like, we're the next generation coming up that's going to have to do this work, clearly. And, mm. and even if from the questionnaire, if that's to be, I don't know if you noticed this also, I noticed that the older generation of participants in the questionnaire were less forthcoming and mm. and sharing anything mm. and all mm. the conversation was happening amongst the, like our generation and younger mm. so mm. it's obviously going to be our work primarily for the next generation coming up so what what is a healthy education this way like if we had to conceive of how it might be communicated mm. you know what would that look like like I'll tell you right now, my mom was legit. When I was seven years old, I was already getting the topics, you know, seven. My mom was talking to me like straightforwardly, like I was a grown person. And because she was warning me, she was very nervous. She was raising two black boys by herself. So she was like extremely nervous that we had come on the wrong path. 
So she started a conversation with us very young about sex life. And it wasn't like, it didn't feel gross because we still didn't have a full reference point to understand. But I just kind of, over the years, I appreciated, you know, you know, seven and then not, she was just like very open, very clear, but she was still a mom. She doesn't have the full male experience. And then technology was just coming into the, the fray. So there was no way anyone could have prepared for that. Um, but in any case, how does a conversation look like if you have to communicate mm. like, hey, guys, we're going to do a seminar about how to have sex with your partner. Like, is it going to is it look like that or what is it in your head? If you had to conceive of a structure, what would it look like? Mm. OK, I got some stuff to say, but you guys okay. go first. Braj, do you have any? OK, I don't, don't want to put anyone on the spot, but like Braj yeah, Nanda has been I thought he was a asking little bit Huh? Are you asking Dania? Oh, okay, okay, okay. We're asking Dania. Dania, it was her idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I was waiting for her to answer. That's that's that was my conception. They're like, you okay, think okay, people okay. should be educated? Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, can I can I share a response that actually was very much along those lines? There was sure. one um, one response toward the end when we were asking people like, "Hey, do you want to add anything else?" And I honestly, this is like one of the most heart touching responses that I read. Um, this person shared a close friend pointed out to us that if we are having sex for children and having a sexual relationship for our own emotional bonding is also for our children because they benefit from being raised by parents who feel loved and loving with each other and seeing that affectionate example of a married couple. Mm -hmm. I can testify to that from seeing the reverse. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, yes. Like having sex for procreation is the strictly biological element right but having sex and a healthy affectionate relationship with your partner is mm. an entire world that our children inhabit mm. do you mm. see what i'm saying it's the yeah. energy in a house it's the vibe it's the intangible but felt sense that kids have of what is the bond between these these two people and of course it's expressed through sex but it's also expressed through the way they talk to each other and the way they look at each other and their body language and how much quality time they spend together and what mm. devotional activities they share with one another there's a whole world inside of every house mm. wow. so to say that all of that is separate from the biological act of like the sperm and the egg and they met and there's a baby it's like come on dude who could be that simplistic about anything who could be that simplistic about anything it's so reductionistic mm. it's so reductionistic it's about the entire world that you create and this is just the procreation for children there are many grihasta couples who choose not to have children right and they're mm. extremely powerful also and they have their place in our society as well so there's people that navigate that with a celibate marriage it's people that navigate that with a progression towards celibacy marriage you know mm. there's there's people in our survey that that we're talking about the fact that they choose to abstain from sex during a pregnancy there's people mm. that talk about you know they they choose to have it as a sort of um compromise between how often one partner wants it and how often the other partner wants it so i think kind of getting back to the education thing, it's before we get to how do we educate our society, we have to formulate what is a home run mm. of healthy grihasta life for our society? And wow. how does sex fit into that? How do we create the whole landscape? And then how do we map that? Because if you just throw data at people, if you just throw information or if you just throw a manual, it's, this is how you do semen retention. This is how uh, reproduction works. This is what contraception is. And then you just give people a bunch of tools and a bunch of information. There's going to be like a lot of feelings about that, mm -hmm. right? Rather than saying, 
what kind of world do you want to create inside of your griha? And how does sex fit into that? Right? Mm. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And then how do we start? And then also, you know, like, well, like we were saying with that uh, question that Kumari put in there, what's the long game? What's the long game with that? And how mm. do we kind of mold that? Can we check in on that? So I think a lot of the education is more about like where, who, where am I at really? Do I know myself? Do I know my partner? And what are we looking to do here before we start getting educated? Because the education is going to have to be tailored to each person's vision. So I think it's about creating visions. What is my vision for my griha? And then based mm. on that, do I seek the education accordingly? And of course, that's going to take mentors. And of course, that's going to take resources and information and tools and all that kind of stuff. But there has to be a certain clarity right when you get when you become a, a part of this ashram you know different ashrams have different missions right just like different brahmachari mm -hmm. ashrams have different sevas they all have a similar ashram structure mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily acting in the world in the exact same way even though they they are the same kind of institutional item right, right. does it make sense yeah Perfect. oh my god so much sense uh, I drop the mic word I got, two, I got two things from that um one of the first things you said was um, very much starts at home, like the parents, um, and that affects the children. So there's more or less two categories of devotees, and some are uh, devotees who became uh, devotees in later in life, not like not from birth. I, I I started when I was 22, right? So then I have to relearn everything. So there's that category. And then there's devotees who were born into the movement, right? So what I see from what you said is that there could be education and developing, like we develop vis a vision and education around um, helping uh, new devotees uh, more or less learn about these uh, ideal, I guess, yeah, ideals and uh, helping them incorporate into their marriage. Maybe it's through premarital counseling or maybe it's something similar like that. And then it, then it's, then it's those devotees um, develop the healthy, healthy, healthy uh, relationship around that. And then passing it on to the kids, like Jai Jagannath was saying, it was, it was, he was very young and his mother started talking about it, right? And you were saying how also that the relationship and that energy affects the children when they're growing up in the, in the devotee house. Maybe you have some uh, experience of that. And um, th then there, that education could begin. Um, anyway, that, that was just two things that I got from what you just said that came to mind that, that could be possible um, ways about going, going, uh, yeah, going into it. And maybe that's already going on to one extent or the other. Um, and probably could be improved upon and more um, normalized, I guess you could say. I mean, I know a lot of devotees who never had premarital counseling or anything like that, and we did. And I believe, honestly, that I benefited, we benefit a lot. Like, I believe the devotee who who um, was our counselor, I mean, she set us up for success. I, I would 100% like any devotees getting married, I would say, you should do this. Um, mm. So I have, I have, and I haven't gone into the next, we haven't gone into the next phase raising children yet, but I can imagine that that's where 
the um, yeah, but these children could learn positive learned behavior and not the the opposite of what we, we usually experience. Yeah, Komara, you got something on this? I remember my yeah. um, my mom, not my mom, in one of the in one of the questionnaires, he was saying there was one devotee who was, who wrote a lot. It was like reading a little small book, and um, but it was at one point he said that. He said it's almost comical how parents or adults don't realize how much children eavesdrop. He said it's almost comical that how much they ignore the fact that children are actually absorbing so much. Mm. And so he was just describing some of the things that he heard growing up. Oh my God, it was just, I couldn't, it was so wild. He was talking about the particular, yeah, it just was horrendous. It, I didn't find, I found it hilarious, like the Garber Dumpson Scar one. And then after, you know, the seed is planted, the woman should keep her legs up for 30 minutes so the seed could tra travel to the I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, the ghetto. <laughs> and oh, he, he was, but he was saying this is stuff that he heard in the house growing up. And he said it's comical how people are just not aware how much is coming. So just dying to your point, it just makes perfect sense. Education really begins at home. Kumari, we want to hear from you some ideas around this. Yeah, I think that, you know, to have this education kind of Danya was saying, like, you just give people the tools, it becomes so overwhelming. Like, sure, I have these tools now, but like, what do I do with them? So asking these bigger questions, like, how does our sex life fit into our home? And what does that look like? And how does that work for us as a couple? How does that work for us as a family in our home? And creating that, uh, you know, ideal environment that we want based on our current space and our current point in our spiritual journey like what does that look like and i think that um you know just really just sharing those questions so posing those questions and getting people to think about it whether it's through you know just sharing questions or if it's through premarital counseling and i think that you know so much when we were going through premarital counseling it was like we were sharing it with everybody that we were doing this and everyone should do it. And we wanted to drop this stigma from counseling. Like there's like, oh, like we hear counseling and we think like, oh, something's wrong. So I need to fix it. So I go to a person to help me and no, nothing's wrong, but let's, let's do it right like from the get go. Preventative measure. And so I think like helping people realize mm. that it's helpful and it doesn't mean anything's wrong and sort of dropping the stigma and normalizing counseling and normalizing asking these questions to make sure that we set it, set each other up for mm. success is so important so important mm. 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 just something that that really stood out to me from from what dania said as well is that okay so dania and i both work full-time as counselors or therapists of sorts and um I think Daniel will attest to the fact that maybe the most essential principle as a counselor is that you need to be highly, highly attuned and sensitive to meeting someone where they're at, right? And you have to work from there. You can't have some sort of like, there's no question of having an agenda there's no question of having some sort of bias of what someone should be, right? Like, you have to really listen. I just started reading a book called You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy, and it essentially points out that, like, you know, people really suck at listening to each other these days, 
you know and the Hare Krishnas are no exception like we're you know everyone is very like determined to yeah you know say their say but but anyway the point is it's highly 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 individual every individual and then you know you bring two individuals together in in the couple unit right and then they begin sort of like sharing qualities and natures etc then that the, the couple unit becomes so much more dynamic and every couple essentially by you know the 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 by their both of their individual natures and their individual conditioning and you know whoever they are they every couple creates kind of like a culture you know that within themselves in their dynamic and it just it needs to be so danya your point of like we we need to all get really really clear on like what is our vision for the culture that we want to create in our griya and how and 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 to be really realistic about it like what is your nature my god you know there there is such immense variegation in people's natures on so many levels psychological physical like spiritual ideals what you're striving towards so the fact of the matter is like okay people you, we we need to establish a vision every individual needs to have their vision and if they find that their vision is compatible with another then they can collaborate and create a shared vision everyone needs that but for people to get clarity on that they need counsel but it's it's so important that like people are being met exactly where they're at and i think that there's just a huge huge difficulty in that regard because we are so we're, we're so indoctrinated with like rigid ideal standards and anything short of that is not good enough um and everyone is whether you're on the side of whether you're being counseled or whether you're the counselor this this is our culture you know and um and and we 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 can't like if we're going to move forward i this is my personal opinion we we cannot continue thinking so black and white there has to be a progression there has to be a spectrum of sorts because what is the question of meeting someone where they're at if there's not scope for a gradual progression towards the ideal right so it's 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 highly individual but we need qualified people to be able to really provide that counsel um yeah okay i said yeah. a lot <laughs> we have to be qualified people this is a little bit of a tangential it's part of this same topic cuz we got here from the porn thing and then education and creating a vision. Just a, this little bit of a sidebar. How do we hope to stay relevant enough to the next generation where they will appreciate our counsel? Mm. Because mm. one thing that we got that I got out of the podcast that we did last week with um Kripamoy Prabhu and Mother Guru, which was an amazing episode. They're so funny. <laughs> oh my God. So, so charismatic sharp. and but one thing that Krupa Moy Prabhu ended up saying is that every generation thinks that they're different from the previous generation, but the reality is that we're pretty much the same. And so the previous generation does have a lot of counsel to offer to the next generation on practical matters like the ones that we're talking about, or they could at least, 
but there's a schism that's happened between the the present generation and the previous ones you know technology may have contributed and whatever so just kind of just a sidebar how do we hope to stay relevant enough to our children and that generation to be able to provide that counsel i mean we have a lot of competitors also now with technology there's a lot of competition for that attention one sentence one sentence we will stay relevant to the following generation if we cultivate the ability to genuinely listen to them. Wow. I'm down with that. That's great. Any yeah, idea? I agree. I mean, I think, I think, uh, and this is, you know, we're, we're talking about the ways in which maybe our culture bubble of practicing bhakti overlaps with the greater mainstream culture bubble and how, how they mutually influence right, one another. But right. this issue that you're addressing, Jai, that's specifically our society's issue. Mm. Because in more realms than sex education, there is a difficulty or a frustration in the passing of the baton. Mm. Right? 100%. Leadership, education, um, all mm. kinds of things like that, uh, visions for preaching. Right. I've been a part of many a meeting where there is that disconnect between first generation and their concern for us to represent the movement and Prabhupada's teachings properly. And the second generation saying, I have ideas, but I can't implement them so long as you are dictating how things are going. And so there's that very protective energy from the first generation and that very um, a desire to stay very chaste and very pure to what they understand to be Prabhupada's teachings. And then also the second generation's desire and need to feel heard, to be innovative and to be themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that this translates, especially ISKCON wide, more than just to the realm of sex education. I think that right. there is that um, fear on both sides and disconnect on both sides. I think that you know there's that there's that famous thing that we always throw around, which is like the best preaching is a happy devotee. Yeah. Because when you're a happy, fulfilled, joyful practitioner of bhakti, someone's going to ask you, like, what do you do? How do you, you know, right? Mm. And so I think that you can feel, you, you said Kripa Moya Prabhu and Mother Guru, for example, who are just like so phenomenal. Don't, doesn't it make you want to ask them, like, what do you guys do? Like, yeah, how do you absolutely. Guys, right? So for me, that seems simple enough, which is one of the biggest reliefs for me in my own grihasta life and in my own navigation of you know my intimate relationship with bali and motherhood and stuff like that is to hear the positive experiences of other people i can relate to mm. right so how do we stay relevant is share those things that did work because mm. we are countered by all the things that are not working right like you were able to say jai like well my mom was very frank and very open and very forthcoming and that was kind of like, like a relief because then when i heard things maybe even misinformation i'm like no my mom talked to me about this i know <laughs> 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 i i had the same experience i had the same experience my mom also from a very young age i don't know if it's like a latin thing if it's a minority thing but my mom was also very, very upfront, very uh, technical, but also very kind of experiential, kind of informing me about, you know, the experience. And, and we perhaps had a, had a certain clarity because we were kind of gender aligned. It's like mom and daughter versus right. maybe you felt like she didn't get the male experience. But um, hearing from my mom what sex was, like one of the, one of the like standout phrases that she told me at a, such a young age, I can't even tell you how young, but definitely elementary school. She said, you know, sex is only dirty if you make it dirty. And I was like, mm. 
Landmark statement. Landmark statement. Because you know what? You know what? Every single thing I've seen sex related since that comment, whenever that was, that's the bar. Oh, yeah. That's the bar. Right. You see what I'm saying? If I see sex and it feels impure, it feels disconnected, I'm like, oh, that was a choice. It doesn't have to be that way. Sex mm -hmm. can be connected. Sex can be beautiful. It can be nourishing. It can be connect. You know, all of these things. Why? Because someone that I care about shared their personal experience with me. So I think on a peer-to-peer -peer mm -hmm. level, that's so important. It's so beautiful to share. And, and I feel very lucky that in my generation and in my surrounding, there are many happy, satisfied, fulfilled couples. To hear how they navigate sex is invaluable to me. I learned mm -hmm. so much from that. And because I value them as people, the information makes an imprint. The samskara is real. It's not just like some random Reddit thread. It's like, <laughs> it's something I care about. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, right. So it's about creating meaningful relationships, first generation to second, second generation to second, first to first, oh, you know, on all levels. And then having the transmission of information be seamless because the relationship is there. Mm. Right? I don't want somebody who doesn't care about me telling me about my sex life, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I don't. I don't. And I, so I think that care element, is it has to be there. It's fundamental. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Mm. Mm. You guys have any, I have a few more themes on my theme sheet. We've, I've covered, we've covered a lot, but I want to see, there were some other themes that stood out for you in the, in the question, in the questionnaire or the survey. Something I, that I just, I just wanted to, to, to just add something on a previous point, you know, Jai, when, when you were asking the question, like, you know, what would, what would sex education ultimately look like at the, at the end of the day, like there are still, Okay, it it, it kind of comes to this, like whatever your particular vision is of how you're going to be uh, incorporating sex into the greater culture or atmosphere or milieu of your particular griya, right? The fact of the matter is that like sex is still like the actual physical mechanical act of sex is going to take place. And there is a science to how one approaches that in a wholesome way. For example, in porn, it is portrayed that, you know, there's, there's like, there's no foreplay whatsoever, which is directed to the, the, the pleasure and the service of the woman and her experience. You know, it's like, it's purely directed towards the man. And so men are conditioned in that way that foreplay for women is not required. But in order for, for, for a lady to have a satisfying sexual experience, extensive foreplay is required. People need to be taught these things, and there's ways of going about these things. So I think, for example, Nakul Prabhu, who was on our podcast you know, three times in a row because we just relished engaging with him so much um, you know, because of his authenticity and just um, his confidence in his mission, you know, I feel like Nakul Prabhu is a, he's, he's really a pioneer in this regard. He's, he's taking men into his semen retention army and meeting them where they're at, whatever their goal is, whether they want to be a brahmachari and retain their semen for that purpose, whether they want to, or whether they want to learn how to have really wholesome sex in their committed relationship or whatever, um, you know, and, and then he, he assists people in accordance with where they're at. But the fact of the matter is, yes, there is a science. There's mechanics to this thing. And people need to be taught these, like, basic 
principles, techniques, whatever the hell you want to call it, you know, people need to be educated and, and that needs to be done much more extensively. It should be a part of like premarital counseling, marriage training. Like what is wholesome yeah. sex? <clears throat> yeah, ready to study Kama Sutra? I know that... <laughs> Well, the Kama Sutra, I know, I know popular belief is like the sex manual because there is a chapter dedicated to like sexual positions and so on. But actually, most of the book is about how to have a griha. That's what most of the book is about. How mm. to do different samskars to have a successful griha and what needs to go on in order to make the general atmosphere of the griha very dharmic and wonderful and healthy. And then there's a chapter dedicated to just those details also. So maybe we need to, you know, not we, those who are grihastas and who need to be communicating this need to study Kama Sutra. Anyway, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know where these techniques are described therein. Mm. Okay, does anyone have something? Because there's another like realm of our questionnaire that we haven't spoken about yet, which is contraception. But if anyone has any ideas or any particular yeah, we can bring it up we can bring up contraception now just there's so many things around that i have to i have to say with the contraception topic it was interesting for me specifically because yeah i mean i'm not having sex i'm not in a relationship but it's like like it wasn't even part of my world or my thinking about the subject matter whatsoever <laughs> so okay condoms i knew but all the other stuff like people some someone gave like a long list of things i was like what the hell is IUD yeah. and this thing and other thing and other thing. I had to ask her where those came from. I literally googled like top methods of contraception and I found a list and there's like nine things and I just put them on there. So that's like okay. what the world sees as the top mm. methods of contraception, and um, that's kind of where those things came from so and then it was like people were checking them off mm. uh, like of the things you know i found it really interesting with the contraception at least a lot of the well i wouldn't say a lot but quite a few of the surveys i saw there was like a belief that there should be no contraception on the one hand and on the other hand that Hare krishna yes they should they can use or should use contraception yeah and i saw that i, I just thought it was an interesting contrast like to have a belief that contraception is not really good or not ideal or but then yeah Hare Krishna should use uh, I, I I observed that people would admit to using contraception but then when the question when like the fundamental question came like should Hare Krishna's be be allowed to use contraception there was like a lot of ambivalence you know because it's almost like answering that question means like you make a final call on it right like in principle and i think no one feels you know sufficiently qualified or like you know sufficiently entitled to really deem such a question but but like the majority of of, of uh surveys that i read um a lot of people actually said they feel they feel it's okay to do it, right? right? But perhaps in the context of the phase of their relationship that they're in, like a lot of people were saying, the majority of people were saying like, we're essentially saying we are having sex because we feel it's a necessary, you know, release. It's something that we need to do. It's a need that we have. Um, and whilst we're in this space, we need to manage it you know, in certain ways, because basically the, the, the point comes up that like, 
if you're not because sex for procreation is like boom it's there it's like the the you know the goal but then if you're doing anything less than that then you might as well use contraception because if you don't want to make a baby then you might as well be safe and extra sure <laughs> that you're not going to make a baby because maybe it would be highly impractical to do so but you still have sexual needs to satisfy right how do you think about this? I have to admit that um, last week in our episode, this came up also. I, I asked it specifically about a question related to kids and making kids. And it was brought up, and I think this represents the sort of traditional old world thinking about the subject matter, that if you're not, if you're afraid of the consequences of sex life, you know, like children specifically, not that it's a consequence, but as it's thought of today, then you shouldn't be having sex. And I feel like the, that's what a lot of our generation receives from the previous generation. And um, <clears throat> so don't do sex unless you're prepared to live with that consequence. And the whole like sexual revolution and then the development of contraception, it has transformed the way we think about sex life tremendously because otherwise previously that wouldn't have been an option. You would have just had to, I guess, take your chances or, or whatever. So like to be practical my I, i'm like i feel like i'm good at meeting people where they're at personally in my personal interaction i know my profile stuff is a little ghetto it's a little out of control but on a personal level i think i'm good at meeting you know being very understanding like non-judgmental and all that so i don't think i would ever judge i certainly wouldn't judge anyone for doing what they got to do to keep things wonderful and peaceful and blossoming in their home but just as like a principle around contraception. I'm kind of interested in that part of the conversation as a principle. Good, bad, like how, yeah, that, that part of the conversation. Well, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a, a just a practicality aspect to it. Mm. Um, I think that even if you have the intention to have sex, to have children, um, likely the first times you have sex will not result in pregnancy because that's statistically it's just not how it usually happens sometimes it does and you have a one shot and great um but most of the time no and so for some people i think that it makes a lot of sense to navigate sexuality and 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 build that relationship without feeling like as i'm learning about this and as i'm building this uh, like a kid's gonna come and then literally everything changes so I can totally see how that would be, you know, a, a concern. And the other thing is, you know, if if um, having kids is not necessarily what's on the table at this time or at any time, and you still have a sexual relationship, you know, the Gita begins with commenting on the dangers of having unwanted children. Mm. And so, what is the greater what is the greater detriment to people and to society? Is it the use of contraception, or is it people who do not or cannot take care of children? for whatever reason. Mm, and mm. that's an enormous responsibility and it's an enormous consideration, mm. um, especially if in that relationship, one or both of the parents have this um, like heavy bent on detachment from family life while being in family life. Um, it can be a really difficult struggle for those kids and that, and that feeling of being unwanted or the, the home and the relationships not being structured in such a way to receive them properly, that could be a really big deal. So the, the counter danger to whatever drawbacks there may be 
for contraception, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, well, I get to engage in this without fully contacting the responsibility of the consequences that can come from that. Right. Okay, we can understand that might have some detrimental effects. Does it outweigh the detrimental effect of having a child and being unprepared and potentially neglecting emotionally or societally that child? I don't know, because that's like the, uh, the that's Arjuna's greatest fear, right? Which is what's gonna happen to these women and children. So, mm. I think that that's a really heavy consideration. And the other thing that I'll add in there is that whenever we talk about contraception, it is a gendered conversation. Really, because, yeah, that's, I got a sense of that too. Because, I mean, two of the nine are things that men can do, like condoms and sterilization. Right. And all the rest are on women. And it doesn't right. come without consequences, right? Mm. You might be able to slip a condom on and off and the rest of your day goes unaffected, but hormonal <laughs> birth control it, it takes, it can, for some women, for many women actually, it takes an enormous toll on their hormones. It can affect them emotionally, right? Mm. Um, birth control is not always provided for free depending on where you're at. And so it can have a like financial cost. It's like a heavy conversation mm. to have. And I don't necessarily think that um, the conversation, uh, that, that when couples have this conversation, it stems from a place of like, I just feel like being a little irresponsible and just not following up on the consequences of this. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a pretty heavy thing, you know? Mm. Wow. Thank you. Didn't know any of that. So <laughs> it's very interesting information. Kumari, Bridgina, what you guys hear about this, this contraception thing? <laughs> it's okay. We gotcha. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to call me next. I was, uh, I was just happy hearing what you all had to say. Um, mm, mm, yeah, it was mm. it, it, what I noticed about what the devotees. Um, yeah, it's, it was very interesting. Some some devotees were saying that they use it, but they don't believe that devotees should. And then some were saying that we don't, but we believe devotees should. I thought that what are your what are your personal feelings about it? Like Kumar, you came up with the question also, which was an, an inspired thing. I think that this should be part of the conversation. So I'm curious, like, what's your thoughts? I on this? think that these questions really stemmed from hearing um, a leader in our movement sort of say that, like, if you use contraception, like you're engaging in sense gratification. Um, duh, but and right. <laughs> it was like a straightforward fact that like if you do that, like that's what you're doing, right? So, but then it it, it placed guilt on the use of contraception uh, right. when maybe that's not the the goal of it. Maybe it's to connect with your partner and to and to maybe you're not in a place, maybe you don't have the resources or the finances or the living situation to support children at this at this point in your life but you're in your relationship and wanting to develop that and deepen the loving connection so that you can support children at some point in time um so i think that it's like it goes beyond just oh if you use contraception and you're just like trying to have sex for pleasure like it's so there's so many so much more to consider and then also just kind of elaborating on what Danielle was saying about birth control like so many of these hormonal methods it not only takes a toll on the woman like while she's using these hormones, but it also takes time. Like you stop using birth control and then it can take a year, two years, sometimes even three to five years to be able to have children for those hormones to go away. Oh um, so the, 
like these are like serious considerations that I think that, um, you know, as devotees who want to have family life and who maybe are doing these things even before, you know, becoming devotees and not considering like the, the long-term effects or not even knowing or understanding or is from the male perspective, not even hearing about some of these things. Um, Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I, I didn't hear about most of them either. I mean, I mean, I learned these things because I studied women's health. So like, I'm, she's a nurse. I'm, <laughs> she's a nurse. So she knows these things. Well, I think this is so, this is so informative though, Kumari, because it just goes to show how actually a lack of understanding around contraception is a symptom of a lack of a understanding of women's sexuality and women's cycles, right? Mm -hmm. If sexuality is understudied and undertalked about, women's sexuality is like the tiniest speck, <laughs> right? Yeah. The tiniest yeah. speck in this vast ocean of sexual information. So mm. that's a big deal because women, we don't know our own bodies. Men certainly don't know our bodies. So it's, it's, for example, like um, one one thing that I actually recently became acquainted with, which I'm so grateful that I'm learning more about. I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but you know, the the Catholic Church is very strongly uh, had a position in the past against contraception, right? And um, obviously, Catholics still have sex. So, what they're what they're uh, there's a huge branch of research of Catholic uh, proponents of non-hormonal, non-invasive birth control simply by studying a woman's cycle and understanding her bodily rhythms. Because the reality is for the majority of women, for the majority of the month, we are not fertile, right? It has to be like the perfect match of ovulation and conception, you know, like a sexual intercourse for conception to happen. And so it's about actually getting to know your own body. It's like an app that you have on your phone and it's women right. kind of studying their own body's mechanisms and seeing the symptoms and signs of when they're approaching ovulation. And so it's literally timing their intercourse according to that. And it's very much in harmony with their own rhythms. They and their partner have to take education courses, like in order to even get access, I think, to the app you have to take a certain amount of classes you and your partner oh, so some of it is about your biology some of it is their biology there's stuff that you have to get you have homework assignments and so on <laughs> yeah. when it's does she ovulate be, yeah no, we didn't take notes <laughs> yeah. well so it just goes to show that you know um like uh what is it necessity is a mother of invention Mm. which is maybe the fact that, you know, there is this behavior will elicit me to become more educated about my partner's body and about, and so if I have a strong pull because I'm not into using hormones for my body, or I don't feel comfortable using a condom, or I don't want to get an IUD implanted, or I don't want a vasectomy because of vasectomy, whatever. Okay, cool. But then maybe there are other ways in which inevitably by trying to, let's say, you know, use contraceptive, I actually learn a bunch more about my Myself and my partner so mm. i thought it was like a cool kind of more holistic approach to the we don't want to get pregnant just yet but we're still having sex kind of thing mm. that is coming as a byproduct of how stringent specifically the catholic church is right mm. nice i have a question and this is sort of like uh i'm not trying to play devil's advocate either although i am into it unlike danya <laughs> but this is not the purpose of me asking this now <laughs> but it's more just like in, in terms of our thinking about it um you know, in order for a community to flourish, it needs children, 
Like that's an absolute fact. And one thing that's been observed, particularly in the Western world, is that we're not having enough children. And that's a, a, a cause of concern for certain individuals. And I'm just gonna say it in contrast, you have you have cultures like, and this is not me hating. I know I do a little bit of hating on my social media, but I'm not hating on this right now. You have someone like Islam where they may have more than one wife and they're encouraged, like it's preached in a lot of their congregations, at least I've seen videos like this, where they're encouraged to have four or five kids per wife. And so they're producing a lot of kids and that way they ensure the survival of their culture and posterity. Yep. And so mm. having children is like a critical aspect. Like there's only, one, there's only two ways we can continue the Christian consciousness movement. A, you have to be really good at preaching, collect devotees that way. Doesn't look like that's happening. So B, you need to have kids in order to continue the survival of the culture. And so mm. I feel like in our generation, I wonder about this. And I'm, I'm, what do I know? What can I see from my finite standpoint? But it does seem like the millennial generations were less into having kids, especially, and this is just an observation, it seems like the more educated we are, the less maybe inspired or it's, it seems to be that way. I could be completely mistaken. So I'm not trying to like create a paradigm of thought here. I'm just putting it out there as a question that mm. we need to be having kids. And I don't, it doesn't always seem like that side of the conversation is nourished enough where they're like the embrace of having children, maybe particularly like motherhood. I, I don't hear anyone talking about the glories of motherhood. I never heard that so much. I loved my mom. So I just, by direct perception, understood the glories of a really good mom. But I never heard motherhood being glorified and the importance of that, the importance of having children, getting into a relationship to have children so that you can continue your culture. So on that side of the conversation in relationship to contraception, I'd like to hear some thoughts around that too. You know, and that may be considered a more conservative lens of the subject matter, but that thing, that's an mm. important part of the conversation also. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, was, yeah. Okay, 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 go for it, go for it. Okay, for it. I was just gonna say, it's confirm, confirmed there's a paper by Rodney Stark about how, how religious movement uh, succeeds or fails. Um, it's a very interesting paper he wrote. Um, and I think it's like 10 ways and one of them is to procreate and like a religion like the Amish religion they have lots of kids and they're actually believe it or not one of the fastest growing religions <laughs> like we don't see them much because they kind of keep to themselves in a sense but they actually are growing quite fast because they um, have kids like a lot of them they have like 10 kids like hey they don't play that's like progenitor level <laughs> Yeah, they they have a lot of kids. Like it's part of their like values and in, in their culture. It's like you gotta have a lot of kids. It's mm. it's like everyone knows that. Um, so it's definitely a big thing. And, and um, uh, yeah, it could mean it can make or break the ISKCON, You know, or I don't want to say this ISKCON, but just spreading of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is is if we don't have kids, then it could really. Um, disable us in, in spreading mm. Krishna consciousness and keeping the lineage going. So um, mm. it's funny. Mm. It's like some devotees have like no kids. Some devotees have like tons of kids. Like I have a few friends uh, who have just, they're all about having kids. Just, okay, when's the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one? 
Well, they're gonna have like 10 kids running around some, some you know uh, yeah. but um, yeah, i think it's very important and it's it's never it's hardly ever spoken about like you were saying we don't we don't like go to a iscon temple and they're glorifying motherhood and having children so much it seems like a lot of times you get more of the renounced vibe i mean at least in my experience maybe that was just because i was a brahmachari for eight years and you know that's just like my filter was there but um but yeah, you generally, no, I generally that's have the vibe. That's the vibe. It's ghetto. Okay. It's very renounced <laughs> oriented. Mm -hmm. out. Um, but yeah, uh, I think, I think that's, and like you said, it's like, if we're not making a lot of new devotees, then, you know, like, like we don't see mm. most temples. I've traveled all around the country. I've been to every temple. Um, it's like, if you ask them how many devotees they made in the last year, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, you know, like five, six, maybe less. And that means they did like amazing. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. we did five, right? Um, yeah, so it's actually that's really slow. If you ask a, a like a Christian church, like we went to Redding, North, like uh, Northern California, Redding, Northern California, uh, blah, blah, blah. Redding, California, and we heard that one of the like fastest growing Christian Christian movements movements is there. It's called Bethel Church, and they're literally like making like hundreds of devotees like devotees a year. Like like there's people who move all over the country just to live there, and they're like practically every anyone in the town is probably part of that church. Like some one of my friends told me that, and we were staying at Airbnb, and I was like, I wonder if these people are and. Uh, you know, I was looking around the apartment and I sure enough, I found a little book and it was like um, what we would call like a bridge preaching book and look in the back and it's like Bethel Church. I'm like, there there you go. <laughs> like, it's obviously a thing. Like these people are, you know, making a lot of uh, devotees, as we say. Um, and they're also having children, too. Like Christian families there. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like you have at least two children. Like, like I know growing right, up, minimum, all right. my friends at least had two. Um, and anyway, I'm I just elaborating on like heck yeah i mean that's mm. that's a, that's definitely a, a big like it's studied like this is something that has to go mm. on if you want to succeed in your uh, yeah spreading your religion. and yeah. I, I i grew up oh, sorry no no you you go for it kumar okay. i'm gonna go in a whole i was gonna say there. i grew up in the jewish tradition and like i remember learning from like elementary school like you're supposed to have two boys and two girls and you keep trying until you wow. meet that. So That's I knew this one family where they had girl after girl after girl after girl. And then finally, like they had a boy and then they still kept going because they wanted another a second boy. So to reach that two boys and two girls standard, that's like written out and taught and propagated, they kept going. And it was, it was common in the community mm. that I was in. Um, and it was well known that that was like the standard and like what you should be reaching for and the goals for that. And I think that this generational shift sort of is happening where um, even I see like older generation devotees, you know, they have a few kids or whatever, how many kids they have, an average amount of kids, and not all of them are practicing devotees, right? So then it's like, was that a success? Are they, are they, you know, well-adjusted in society, like, how are they doing? Like, how are those kids actually doing? And then kind of going into this next generation, I feel like maybe that people aren't having as many kids, but I feel like 
the quality of kids is more of the focus of these mm. Mm. parents. It's like, if yeah. we're going to have kids, we want to give them all the love and all the care, mm. the consciousness in a digestible way. And if they become devotees, great. And if they don't, I hope that they're amazing, loving, kind people. And I feel like that's kind of where this shift is happening, um, not Ye just in our society, but I feel like, mm. Um, mm. you know, in society so, at large as well, like people who choose to have kids kind of care about this quality factor. Yeah, totally. I, I was also just wanting to emphasize that because Jai, you know, your original statement was something like, yeah, if we, if we wanted to go on, then, then we need to be, you know, we need to be making kids. We need to be having kids. But for me, the big question lies is like, how are those children going to be received? do we have a village in which to raise them? How are we going to be um, protecting them from the realities of, of Kali Yuga and a uh, worldwide, you know, in ecological environment that is literally falling apart? You know, like, like, like how are these children going to be received? Um, are we sufficiently, you know, Nityananda Prabhu was just saying here, like, we don't glorify financial security, so many fear being unable to support a larger family. That mm. is true. There are so many Bad. devotees who are insufficiently, like, situated to be able to really, oh like, you know, face, the, live up to the, to the financial reality. Kids are very expensive, and like, if we're going to be slotting into this um, abomination of like the nuclear family model, which which is a which is a complete disaster because people are so estranged from each other, you know, children take an immense amount of work and dedication. It's like it is. I mean, Danya, like when Nama came, like the amount of like Bali was just. You know, when, when Danny and Bali were on the podcast, he was like, he was deeply, deeply moved by seeing Danya's dedication to Nama and being there for her, like every single second of every single day, continuously, you know, uninhibitedly with, with, with no, but you need to be a really well-grounded, well-situated person to be able to do that for your child, right? If you're dealing with issues... And, and all sorts of things that are not in place, if the foundation isn't there, if the grounding isn't there, you're setting that kid up to get traumatized. Like, no doubt about mm. it. Right? Well, that's kind of I part just, of my question then. That's, that, all that you're saying, 100% agree. And that's kind of part of my question. Like, if we want to have sex, and this is, by the way, this is the devil advocate's position. I'm not really bringing that Bob though. <laughs> I'm not really bringing that Bob here. It's just a matter for conversation. If you want to have sex, get that together because this is a natural sort of byproduct. And then we're bringing this up in the context of contraception. So I'm just, I'm just sharing that side of the conversation, which seems to be a side that is also important before when deciding to use something like contraception. I don't just leave out this side of the conversation completely and only focus on this one part. Like this is also a big part of the conversation. Like we have a community. And what if I do have a child? I, I am gonna want a village 
to raise them in, which means other members of the village got to be having kids too. So there could be a village to raise them in. So that's kind of where the spirit yes. is coming from. That's kind of the spirit. I think it's such, it's such an important, it's actually such an important talking point because it threads through a lot of the other stuff that we were talking about in our conversation. You know, you were saying like, why don't I hear motherhood glorified? You know, I would like to hear more of the glories of motherhood. And it's frankly, because if leaders don't glorify mothers, who will? And if mm. mothers themselves are not in positions of visibility and leadership, how will you know what they do? Right. Right. right? Mm. Until you guys asked me what was my experience as a mother, I didn't necessarily have a platform to share it on. Until you asked mm. Bali about his fatherhood, he didn't necessarily have a platform to share it on. So the fact that there's conversations being had about it, that there's visibility of parenthood, that there's praise of parenthood, that there's acknowledgement of parenthood and, and what is wonderful about it, it doesn't make sense necessarily for a sannyasi to have access to that information. Although people in leadership, even if it's not your ashram, you can still glorify what is glorifiable about someone else's ashram. So I think that right. there could be a greater emphasis on glorifying mothers because they're the center of the whole situation. Right. And mm -hmm. speaking of that, yes, I, I don't necessarily think it's devil's advocate right. to say, yeah, if you want to have sex, then you should consider, you know, expanding the movement through having children. However, we looked at the survey and we saw in our very simple non-strategic sample size okay all all of those smoke and fire things considered um we saw that there was a big emphasis on the men feeling a strong urge to have sex mm. and the women feeling a less strong urge to have sex as often let's say yeah okay if we can make that generalization then i would say that it's on the men to create an environment where if you want to have sex create a world in which welcoming a child would be fully supported because men have power and men have money and men have leadership and men have uh, visibility they have voice right and so okay if you want it to happen and the majority or the, this big pressure of having sex is coming then make a world where that's possible use your power use your voice use your tactics use your money <laughs> use all of your masculine shakti to help create the village because if you don't do it and you leave a mama unattended and unseen and unsupported not only will she not want to have your kid she's not going to want to have sex with you either <laughs> so set it up set it up is what i'm saying what I'm saying is set it up. If we want this Krishna consciousness movement to thrive and our preaching considerations are we could be like the, you know, um, like the Islamic tradition or like the Amish tradition, you know, someone actually answered on our survey, describe what sex means to you. And they said procreation of sadhus. Mm. That was an answer. It's literally, yeah, it I saw could that. be a sadhu factory. It could happen. That's cool. mm. But what does it take to make it happen? It's not the sex. The sex is the easiest part. The sex mm. could be literally accidental. Mm. Make it happen, but make it happen for real. And honestly, the onus is on the men. Support Word. who you need to support. Become who you need to become. Word. And then, you know, uh, let's let's show up to create this village, as, as Kuruna was saying. Let's show up and create this village. But the people who are in power have the greatest responsibility for that. And meanwhile, let's uplift women, let's protect children, and let's give visibility to the glories of what a beautiful, like, Rihasta family life could be, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it just connects all the points that you guys were talking about, the different highlights of the survey, and it gives practical steps like, okay, what can be done then? 
Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just such a, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, okay, I'm just going to point out a particular reality. The reason why this podcast exists is because they're fundamentally, Danya, as you're pointing out, there is fundamentally a lot of responsibility that men need to take, but men, unfortunately, are hella lost, you know, because there are very, very, very few worthy role models in most men's lives that like role models that they can, that are close to them, that they can consult with, that they can interact with, that they can have loving, trusting relationships of guidance with. This is a huge issue. So yeah, I mean, the, the, the onus is on men, but dang, there's a lot of like, you know, general, uh, there, <laughs> there's a huge gap that needs to be, um, you know, leaped over and, I really, I really hope we can do it, guys, because, I mean, this Krishna consciousness thing we got going on here is, is pretty special, you know, and we got to we gotta keep it going on. And, like, and for that, we need our villages. Like, that is an irrefutable reality. Right. Um, anyway, we, we have, you know, I'd, I'd like to perhaps, unless someone has something else to say about this, but I'd just like to bring in this one aspect um, of like, what was each of your personal investment in conducting this research? Why did you feel it was relevant to you from your personal experience? I want to go first. We haven't really. Yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted you to go first because you're like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, being like kitty. <clears throat> um, my personal, I, I think every generation has to define their own individual mission and contribution to the greater mission. You know, so like the first generation of devotees, it was like they're pioneers getting the movement going. And so their work is not necessarily going to be our work. Our work will be different than the previous generation. And I think just like children have to like come out of the house and discover their own identity outside of the house, as a generation, we have to discover what our particular mission and contribution will be to the greater Christian conscious movement. So having that as a preface, I personally feel that part of the um, missionary work and uh, administrative work that we're going to have to do for our own community and for the world and this is going to sound really cringy, but I, it, it sounds too new agey for me, but I'm still liking the word healing work, healing of schisms. And mm. I think the sort of push towards like I see a lot of devotee content creators specifically, they're really into like this sort of connection between psychology and spirituality, you know, because mm. there's been a there's been a schism between healthy, like a healthy mental person. And spirituality, there's been that schism there. There's been schisms between sanghas that's been very destructive. There's been schisms between genders um, on account of so many factors. So I feel like part of the, the missionary work our generation has to do is healing these schisms so that the future generations may continue in a healthier environment in order to prosper. So I just saw this, this sort of conversation, this sort of work, around sexuality as an important schism that needs to be healed in our our general community. There's something very weird and awkward around sexuality and spirituality that's not healed, and it's causing a lot of 
sabotaging in our community, like the success of our communities. Because as you say, it's an indubitable fact that you need a you need a village in order to have a successful mission. And that means you need healthy families, which means you're going to have to have healthy individuals who have reconciled their sexuality to their spirituality. And so I, my personal mm -hmm. sense of it, even as a person who's not in a relationship, who's not likely to get in one this particular life, but in whom a lot of people confide about their relationship stuff, I just saw mm -hmm. it as like, this is one of those areas that really needs to be healed. And so let's get the conversation going. Let's this. Let's, let, mm -hmm. let's let the world know that even someone like me who's not in a relationship is very invested in seeing the success of relationships. I, I get a lot of joy in seeing my friends pictures of another year. You know, I get it's like for me, that's a time of celebration. I don't I know it's a time of celebration for them, but it's also a time of celebration for me. And so that's my personal why I wanted to get in. I'm like, this is important to me also. I want to see, I want to be able to go to some other part of the world and check out the village, see the mm. beautiful kids chanting and dancing and seeing the success of the community. That's going to be important for me as a person who's not even in a relationship. So that's where mm. I was coming from with this. Mm. That's, Joy. I feel that's, that's our work, killing of schisms. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a. I mean, yeah, that's a really, really brahminical vision. You know, that's like the brahminical benevolence coming out there. Um, Braj, Kumari, you guys. Hello, are you still there? Oh, I think it might have. Did they freeze? Oh, they froze for me. Okay. okay. Are you guys back? Braj, Kumari, are, are you guys still there? Hari Krishna. So. <laughs> oh, we can hear you. We hear you. <laughs> they don't there, hear you. I hear you guys. Oh, yeah, but I don't know if they hear us. Oh, yeah, no. they don't hear us, it seems like. Uh, snap. Okay, they're gone. They're okay, Danya, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to run and pee. I don't, I've, I've visibly been hydrating, and the consequences of that became uh, unavoidable. Right. So I apologize for that. But yeah, I, I, I kind of echo what you're saying. Like I'm invested in being part of a relation in part of a community that thrives. Um, I, I think I've said this before about other things, but you know, the services where I see myself, you know, pitching in my two cents like this or like child protection or, or, you know, counseling and that kind of stuff. It's because literally I will not be able to function in this society without this. Like I need support for my marriage, for my kid. I need support for my devotional life. Like it's, it's partly selfish in that I need to be a part of a community that's healthy. So if there's any way that I can contribute to that health, let me put my two cents in and let me become educated in how to give and let me give my kid the best chance that she can have. And let me give my spouse the best partner he can have. And so part of it is, is, you know, strictly, selfish in that way. And the other thing is, you know, I want to be able to, you know, uh, another big part of the service that we do is Kirtan. And I want to be able to travel and preach and share the holy name with people and bring them back to like a home community they can look forward to being a part of. Mm. It's embarrassing for me to feel like I don't know what I'm bringing them to. I don't know what experience they're going to have. I don't know who they're going to mm. talk to at the temple. I don't want to show them X, Y, and Z. I hope that they don't do a Google search. Blah, blah. That's that for me is it's it's really sad and it's not what I would mm. want because to be mm. quite honest, 
my my personal bhakti experience is that the things in our culture and the things in our philosophy are so incredible that i actually want to run to people and show them the things that i've seen and that i know and that i've experienced we have to upgrade every other element around that to give people a home that they look forward to living in otherwise i mean i want to have a home that i look forward to living in i want to have a village to raise my babies in so i'm invested all right i'm initiated i'm in like i'm i'm totally in so whatever upgrades need to happen, I feel very much the responsibility that like, if I see something, then it's probably because I have to do something about it. Even if I'm not qualified, even if I make all the mistakes and the smoke and the fire thing, just get on it because I'm already invested. I cannot give up Prabhupada. I cannot give up Iskan. I cannot give up what I know. I just know too much. I'm hooked. So now it's just about like upgrading it because I also can't. I also like I'm not into like the martyr thing where I'm just gonna suffer in the thing and and <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I don't totally. know if that makes sense, but I feel like you yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, Braj Kumari, are you guys are you live? <laughs> Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Yes. 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 Okay. Can you okay. hear us? Uh, yes. Can yes. you hear us? I hope we can. Yes. Oh, okay. I know. I, yeah. I think we popped out for a minute. Okay. Um, personal investment. Personal again? investments in the mission. Yeah. So basically, like, what what was your personal inspiration oh, yeah. to be part of this? Oh well, I mean, like you said earlier, you and I were just talking about. I think we were mo more or less talking about um, what we what we think is missing, or uh, what was it? We were just talking about like problems devotees are struggling with and how they're how they're able to overcome these problems when conversations arise around them and i mm, mm. arise right that's <laughs> yeah when they, when, it, when they arise um uh the, the devotees feel like they have power to overcome the issues that they have like to to get rid of the shame and the guilt and just say you know what i'm you know I'm okay. I'm doing, I'm going to do better. I'm going to keep going, you know, not just fall in a ditch and, you know, stay in falling in the ditch. That's, you know, no one wants to do that really inside at least. I mean, so giving them like creating conversation, just talking about things that people don't talk about and, but we all have inner mm. talk about, right. <laughs> we, all, mm. we all deal with these things. Right. So, and then this came up and I was like, you know, when I was doing uh, this project, uh, I was doing this project and um, I was trying to find some um, statistics or, or something. I was trying to find um, some Hare Krishna data. Uh, yeah. Hare Krishna data, like social studies, uh, basically. The Hare yeah, Krishna yeah, movement. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything anywhere. I'm like, okay. Like, oh, uh, yeah. I, mean, I remember Christians, that. I remember Christians that, yeah. have so much. Like, if you look in the, I had to actually mm. base a lot of my, uh, I mean, I don't want to go on what I was doing because it would take a long time to, to, to uh, yeah, explain. But Christians had a lot, so I actually pulled a lot from them because I, I figured it might be a little similar on a smaller scale, um, and it just gave me an. I anyway, the whole point was like I get a, a grasp on on one concept that I was trying to explain. So, um, so yeah, we didn't have any data on anything, and then I was like, somehow it came up about uh, sexual values and. Um, how no one really talks about it. And then, and I said something like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had like a survey we sent around and then Karun and I went back and forth. And then he said, 
we brought my wife into it somehow. I, 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 I don't remember how she got involved, but anyway, she somehow got involved and we, we were like, who wants to make the survey? And Kamari's like, I'll make it. I studied making surveys and she, <laughs> she did it. Um, so, but, but um, I, I feel like I really relate with Danya with what Danya said um, about um, creating the village, you know, investing in the village that you want to see. Like, like, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, like even us, we, we've moved a few places since we got married to try to find that village. And it's hard to find a village that you want to be a part of, you know? Um, and yeah, just creating, creating that village together um, in our own household and also in whatever uh, yeah realm of influence we have, that's my investment and in, in being willing to have, conversations with other devotees like um somehow or other a lot of devotees um reach out to me to talk about things and i do the same with other devotees too and we just relating with each other and talking about things that generally isn't talked about or maybe they don't have anyone to talk about it with and and it creates deep bonds and and trust and i feel like that's really what i want in my life i want to have deep meaningful relationships and trusting relationships that I could literally, I could drop, like if I had a child, I could drop them off at their house and I'd be like, they're fine. They're taken care of. No worries. I trust this family. They're healthy. They're sane, you know? Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, that my investment was just wanting to see a better future. And like Jai Jagannath said, each generation has to, um, yeah, really deeply consider like what is going to be my contribution to mm. uh, the Hare Krishna movement. So, um, yeah, John. I vibe with that entirely. That's, that's why I'm here. I want to. I want to live in a in a in a awesome devotee world, and um, that's my <laughs> selfish motive. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to see other people too. Kumari, other people like like Danya said, bring them back somewhere that that I believe that they would have a, a great time being in so mm. yes right. yeah, i of course resonate with the whole village concept and i think just just a more of a present investment navigating navigating my relationship navigating my own personal baggage i mean that's my like little selfish investment and then more so than that is not that this survey created the navigational tools for this topic, but that it lended toward honesty and openness and mm -hmm. just beginning talking about these things that are not discussed and mm -hmm. that being the, the start to better nav navigation, to increase quality of relationships, increased understanding of what's going on and um, the ability to talk about it. Chai. Chai. Well, we, um, good start guys. You know, I feel like it was a good start. Like, yes, riddled with imperfections, but I think here we are having a really meaningful, constructive discussion about core, core issues in, in, in building our extended community. Um, so I, I, take, I take my hat off to all of you and, and I'm so grateful to all of you for being a part of this. And, you know, for myself, I can say, um, I think Jai and I have, um, 
we've we've created a podcast that like i need to hear these conversations i need to hear them but i'm not hearing them so like we're gonna we're gonna have the conversations for that purpose like i feel so <laughs> so often i've had this experience on arise where you know we we have guests and they you know they 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 share their wisdom and and then i feel like the amount of times that i've had this like really uncomfortable feeling of like oh my god i am like i am like a prime like i'm like a prime receptacle of what is being like i really need to hear what's being said here you know there there is there is a lot of um you know there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of baggage that one um just circumstantially has to deal with if you come out of like the uh really degraded kali yuga culture and then um you know enter into this into this diametrically opposed culture of you know divine principle and everything there there's a lot of stuff that you've got to deal with on so many levels and um you know certainly sexuality is such a big deal for for everyone so you know i i have a lot of things to reconcile i have a lot of you know questions on my mind you know it's it's like i am for example a excessively affectionate person you know like i i need like a lot of like physical touch just to feel um emotionally kind of grounded and satisfied you know it's just something that i require i'm i'm very um i'm just very sensual by nature so it's like and uh and it's just it's just really hard to reconcile that in 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 the sort of like devotee context i i don't know i don't know how to deal with it um so you know uh it's 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 also it's a lot of it's a lot of like personal investment i feel like everything that i just said was super sloppy but anyway it's fine it's late it's almost 11 p.m and i'm kind of tired so i hope that there was some sense that came out there just there one final sense. point though is that i just feel like um you know it's absurd that basically everyone is dealing with certain issues what is most like damodar prasad came onto the show and he said this one thing that has stuck with me so much what is most personal is most universal right yeah, and it is powerful. absurd that basically everyone is dealing with the same issues but no one everyone's talking about it in private like everyone's talking about it Maybe. to their gurus you know they're coming to like agreements and figuring things out and whatever but meanwhile the the sort of public reality is something completely different and i think it's ridiculous that everyone's dealing with the same issue but we're not having a public conversation about it so anyway i guess this is the beginning of a few things i'm done rambling now my heart is full i'm super grateful to all you guys for making this possible um yeah literally each and every one of you played such a key role and anyway thank you and thank you everyone for being here with us and for listening you know like what we we couldn't do this if no one was willing to listen jai, jai. <laughs> don't worry we'll be here for the next year also we um we decided our first our agenda for this first year was like can we just keep it up for a year and for those of you i know a podcast appears very simple it's literally just someone talking or a conversation going but it's hard it's really hard to do it <laughs> continuously. 
and the fact that we were able to do it for this year hats off to you and i Karuna avatar it's that's been um amazing and the fact that you guys have found value in it and reciprocated with this very humble endeavor is amazing of y'all so we will be continuing next year we'll be there will be a small break as Christmas, New Year's, and all that. And we'll be meeting during that time to discuss how we're going to go about the next year to make this a better and more, a better offering. Um, but thank mm -hmm. you all for being there with the, on this journey with us and giving us the continuous encouragement to do so and private messages and coming to the lives and sharing messages with us. It's been really um, inspiring, actually. And um, I'm, I'm a, I get inspired, but, you know, I'm kind of in a little bit of a, heavy move these days also. So the continuous inspiration is um, greatly received, gratefully received, honestly. And uh, thank you so much for that. Jaiho. Jaiho. Yeah, so expect us, uh, we'll probably be back like mid-January, um, yeah. as I'm guessing. I'm, I'm going to be pretty engaged until yeah anyway so we'll be back Majan. we don't know exactly with what but like we're we're, we're gonna set our minds and Day intentions two. to it and if anyone has any like feedback please please dm us um i'm uh jai's urban sage deliberates on instagram i'm double underscore karuna with a c and then another double underscore and um yeah so please share your feedback with us and uh, yeah, we 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 really love and appreciate. And I just want to say, like JJP is the dopest podcast co-host like in the world. Like he's always got me. Like he's always like making up for because because what he does, right? Like JJP, this is what he does. Like he's super. He's prepared every time. He's got the questions. There's no lacunas because he's always on top of it. And I I'm on the spontaneous platform. I just roll with it. I wing it. I listen. And I respond spontaneously and I'm all emotional and sentimental and stuff, you know, and Jai brings like that, like straight up intellectual Brahminical edge. And uh, I just, man, you feel like my other half, bro. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jai, likewise. Okay. Later, fam. All right. Wow. This was, uh, yeah, this was definitely our longest one. <laughs> so thank you everyone for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you all. Adiós.